You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. What we call the Capstone Project. And the idea behind it is that we really ask the Lord what He wants to get through us this year for the church towards making a move. We don't know where we're going yet. We know that we're going to have to do that at some point. Um, Just on a logistical standpoint, this entire set of buildings right here just recently got sold, and our lease is good until next September, so we have a little more than a year and a half, Um, but we don't know what's going to happen after that, and we have no guarantees that they'll let us remain here. So we've been just prayerfully considering, Lord, what does it look like, and we don't want to just do it passively. So we've asked everyone in here to ask the Lord what God would like to get through them towards a move for us. whenever it happens, and it looks like it may be happening in the next year or so. So this is the capstone project. We just ask people to pledge. You take the p- top part off. You keep that. You, you, put, you write in what you have on the top, on the bottom, and then put the bottom part in the offering plate. Um, we had, in March, we did the kickoff for this. I think it was mid-March last year, and we had a total pledge amount of just over $150,000 to come in. For a church this size, it's absolutely astounding. It's pretty amazing. And to date, we have, I think, $54,000 of that has come in to date. So I feel really good about where we are. I know we've got a few months left on this. So I'm just asking again for you guys just to prayerfully consider what that would look like. Um, God has been really good to us. We're not living in fear. We're not feeling awkward or weird about all this. God has been really good to us from day one when we started this church. Uh, When we started this church... um, All the chairs, the sound system, the coffee pots, children's ministry stuff was given to us from another church. So we know that God provides for us, and we're not in fear about any of this stuff. But we also, at the same time, don't want to be passive. We want to be forward-thinking and be thoughtful in how we approach the future. So if you haven't done that yet, join in. I've heard good testimonies on people who have done this and found that God just shows up, dumps money on them, and it's like, God, I love this. Don't you like being conduits for God? Isn't it wonderful? Not just with prophetic words and healing and stuff. We want that too, but also with all of our our resources, everything that we have, our time, our talent, and our treasure to be a conduit and a resource for God to move and show the kingdom of God in the earth to people that need him. So, amen? Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and I have got a lot to get through here, and we're going to see how this goes. We have spent the last couple of weeks... um, out of the text of 1 John 4, perfect love casts out fear, specifically talking about how we become more healthy, how we relate to each other. And I'm going to get a little, bit more, a little bit more specific this morning. I need to slow down a bit. I feel a little bit of a rush here. Um, all of this is coming from really something that, that God spoke to us, I don't know, probably two years ago not as a main direction for the church, but really as a revelation for us to house, house the presence of God, to host the presence of God, and to be a people who can carry revival and carry it well because they're healthy on the inside. If you look at past revivals in history, if anybody has ever done a study on it, most of the time you see them taper off mainly because of what's going on inside of people. I don't believe that that is God's intention. I really do believe that God wants to see a bride that is equal to the bridegroom. And Jesus is right on, right? His timing is perfect. His words are perfect. Everything he does is is right on. 
So I think as we're maturing as a church, not just us, but as a church corporately, that I think it really is something for us to, to consider. What it, does it look like to be emotionally, spiritually, even physically healthy so that we can house and carry the presence of God? Third John, verse 2 says, I would that you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. So there's something about the prosperous soul that is connected with not only monetary prosperity, but, but spiritual prosperity as well. The soul matters. And if you haven't been here in the last couple of weeks, I've been talking a lot out of my own life, on my own experience, and I'm going to do that again today. Um, really just sharing with everyone here, I, I really do believe that it's really high time for the church to become emotionally healthy, yeah. to be emotionally healthy people. I, I see so many things happen in the body of Christ that I just shake my head at and go, my God, my God, the world gets it better than we do yeah. on how to, how to be honest with each other, just simply being honest. We talked a lot about that, on just how to speak what's going on inside of us and share and not live in fear because fear restricts, restricts us, makes us become so self-aware that we can't see anybody else around us. So today we're going to talk about what it looks like to speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. You got your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read a lot here, but I'm only going to refer to some of it. We're going to end in verse 15, but we're going to start with verse 1 of Ephesians 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Wow, maybe we should all say that together. Bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, if you have an, the ability to highlight that right there, underline it in your Bibles, please do that. If you're looking at an electronic device, I know you have the ability to do it on that. So just highlight it. Have it something to look at because we're going to come back to it. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in y'all. I'm from Texas. I had to throw that in there. (laughs) Verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one, capital O there, Jesus, who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith. Now, I want you to highlight verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You guys get where this is going, right? Jesus is looking for a body that is in direct proportion to the head. Right now, it's kind of anemic and weak. And I really believe the way it's going to grow up is a lot, a lot of it has to do with emotional maturity. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Oh, boy. It's always a new teaching, isn't there? By the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But, here we go, speaking the truth in love 
may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Can we say amen to the word of God? Speaking the truth in love. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in church with this as a very normal part of life. I mean, we all knew speaking the truth in love. Everybody here has heard this, right, before you walked in here, right? Unfortunately, my experience with speaking the truth in love is all in the name of Jesus and I love you is going to someone and saying, what's wrong with them? Thanks for playing. We have wonderful parting gifts for you if you want to live like that. Yeah. Guess what? You win a pair of asbestos water skis on your trip to the Lake of Fire. No, it's not that bad. It's not. You don't. It's not that bad. It's not like that. I have no idea where that came from. Sorry. We'll ring it back in. Speaking the truth in love, it's, it's interesting to me just in the church in general, and I think there's a shift happening. Overall, I think there's a shift happening within the church where it's moving from, you need to be like me, which is, has been the church for so long. This whole compartmentalized, you're on the outside, I'm on the inside, if you only knew what I knew, that's why we end up with evangelism being more about trying to make the sale than about bringing Jesus. It's not up to us to make somebody believe anything. We bring Jesus. We let Holy Spirit do what Holy Spirit does best. I don't like jumping in his shoes. It doesn't really work that well. I find he's got it. He's really confident in who he is, and if we just let him be who he is, everything's going to work out fine. Speaking the truth is, not, is an internal thing. It's not an external thing. Speaking the truth in love means I'm going to share with you what's going on inside of me because I want to grow up. I don't want to hide. I don't want to fake it. I don't want to be false. It's not an external speaking the truth in love. It's not coming up to you and saying, hey, brother, man, I just, you know, all in the name of love here, man. You got really bad breath. You know, <laughs> those, those pants make you look a little chunky. You know, it's like that, that kind of stuff. That is not speaking the truth in love. It's all, that's all external focused. It's really speaking the truth in love is I need to come to you and share with you what's going on inside of me. Because I know that we are all part of the body of Christ. You have things that I need that you can help me with. And when I'm vulnerable with you, I know the connection gets just a little bit stronger. We talked about that last week, right? That love is consummated in this one thing, connection. We end up with a bridal ceremony at the end. This is how love is fully consummated. It's in connection. It's not just good service. Let's serve one another. Let's be nice to one another. Let's mow each other's lawn when they need it. It's more than that. It's way more than that. It's all about coming into a place of connection. If fear, we talked about that the last couple of weeks, if fear is what governs the heart, then hiding the truth inside is the result. If fear is what governs the heart, then hiding the truth inside is the result. Think about this for a moment. Psalm 51 a psalm that was written by David after he was confronted for his sin. And in Psalm 51, he says this. I love this statement. He says, Lord, you desire truth in the inward parts. This is what I'm talking about. Speaking the truth in love is an internal thing. You desire truth in the inward parts. It's not about my behavior matching up to some moral standard. It's about you looking deep inside of me. Because remember, when David got confronted, he thought, oh, 
that's, you know, that person, whoever did that thing, that guy ought to be killed. And the prophet looks at him and says, it's you. It's you, David. And of course, this incredible psalm gets written out of that, Psalm 51. If you haven't taken any time to read that in a while, go read that one. Lord, you, he says in there the most audacious things against you and you only I have sinned. Wait a minute. Okay, Bathsheba? Uriah? Right? I mean, all, the, all these, he's a murderer. He's an adulterer. And he says, against you and you only I have sinned. It's not, he's not leaving out those people. He's looking deep inside and he's going, if I'm really going to be honest, this all, all of this started with me and you. I desire truth. You said you desire truth in the inward parts. Now, truth in the inward parts means that I have to start to recognize what that is. Here's the unfortunate part. I think a lot of us, and I've been through a lot of life experience to know that I don't even know what was going on inside of me. I found myself with behaviors that weren't appropriate. Only to discover that there's something inside of me I didn't even know what was going on. Is this making sense? Why do I do the things that I do? Well, the chances are there's something going on inside you don't even know what it is. Let me give you a little scientific aspect of this just for a moment. I've discovered that scientifically in our brains, there is a thing called the limbic system. It's like, it's like the very center core of your brain down inside, and it's really formed by the time you're about eight years old. And it's all the experiences you've had in life that wire your brain to make it think and respond in certain ways. Now, the reality is most of us live our lives from that limbic place in our brain, and 90% of the choices we make are from there. They're not from the frontal cortex, which is where reasoning happens. Most of it's made from the limbic inside. inside. Is this connecting at all? So, in other words, most of what we feel in any given, any given situation will determine our response to what we're doing, but that's all coming from limbic. It doesn't come from frontal cortex. Most of us don't take time to go, okay, that person just said something that really hurt me. Just using an example. That person just said something that really hurt me. Okay, let me process this for a moment and think. Maybe something's going on with them. Maybe they're in a really hurt place right now. Most of us don't think like this. Most of us think from, you hurt me. I'm going to get back at you or I'm going to avoid you. One of those things. And what we end up with is broken relationships because we live out of that. For me, when I hear the stories, the scientific stories about, okay, you got a limbic system, you got a frontal cortex, all these things, I think even more so, it's, it's God, it's like he knew what he was doing when he created all this stuff. <laughs> I look at Romans 12 and I'm like, that's what the renewed mind is. The renewed mind is coming into a superior reality, recognizing that and saying that superior reality has to override the inferior reality of my limbic system because my feelings are only a perception of reality. They are not reality. They're, they're valid. I'm not saying they're not valid. I'm just saying they're valid, but they're not necessarily reality. So the renewed mind is coming back into alignment with what really is going on. Just using that example for a moment. If we get hurt, if somebody offends us, I mean, if we're being honest, and I don't need to see a show of hands, but if we're being honest, how many would say, immediately my thoughts go to the other person? Oh, they must be hurting. I wonder what's going on with them. Most of the time, it's internal, right? It's, oh God, you know, it's, but I believe this is part of recognizing 
how damaged we all are on the inside, taking a look at it, finding the truth in the inward parts, saying, I need to discover what's going on inside of me here. I need to know why that bothers me so much. I need to know why that hurt me so deeply. I hope this is making sense. I'm not talking about a morbid, introspective, navel-gazing way of life where you walk around trying to find out what's wrong with you all the time. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about taking the things that happen in our life, and all of us could sit here. If I gave you two minutes, you could sit here for a moment, and you could probably think pretty quickly of something, something or sometime where someone's hurt you, something hurt you, um, offended you, bothered you, damaged you somehow. You can think of something. But really, for us, it's time to start looking into it and saying, okay, Jesus, I need Holy Spirit right in the middle of this to speak truth to what's going on inside of me and to speak truth of what the superior reality is. This is where the renewed mind happens. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. How many here want transformation? The reality is, my experience in the church is everybody wants transformation, but they want God to do it, and we can sit back passively. It's true. We want God to transform our lives if we just sit there and go. <laughs> it doesn't. There's, there's a co-laboring with Christ that works. It's the, how it's called, take my yoke upon you. It's easy and it's light, right? He's talking about, and the yoke picture is, when he says that, that's not a single yoke. It's always a double yoke. They would take oxen, put them together. They would always put a younger oxen with an older oxen because the older ox knew how to work with the yoke. The younger oxen did not. So it would learn by the one who knew how. And they had to work together because they're, they're connected to each other. Are we connected to Christ? It's the great co-mission. <laughs> We're on a mission with him. It's all being connected together so that all of this, I'm just looking at it going, man, we cannot afford to step back and say, God, just make me a better person. He makes us a better person if we ask him by watching and paying attention to what happens to us on the inside so that we can learn from it and go, okay, God, I, that's not pretty right there. That's not pretty right there. That is very ugly. And what comes out of me is very ugly. When some, It's like, has anybody ever had like a, uh, a sunburn? <laughs> right? You had a sunburn. You're out Saturday. I've had this happen before. You're out Saturday. You're having a good time at the lake, you're skiing, you're doing something, and you get this awful sunburn. Sunday you come into church, you've got a shirt on, nobody sees you have a sunburn. I've done this to people accidentally. But walk up to them and go, hey, how you doing? You're like, oh! <laughs> now I know this analogy is going to break down at some point. <laughs> but as long as there's that kind of pain in our life. I'm using the physical sunburn, but I'm talking about internal stuff now. As long as there's that internal pain inside of our life, anytime somebody pats us on the back, we're going to be like, oh, nobody's intending to hurt you. But as soon as they get close to it, as soon as they touch it, it just flares up. Most of the time, we spend our time thinking, why did you do that to me? Instead of turning the thought in and going, man, I need to discover why this hurts so bad. This is speaking the truth in love. This is coming back to an internal, what is going on inside of me, and I need to communicate, wow, that really did hurt. But I know you didn't do that on purpose. You hear where I'm going with this. Yeah. Speaking the truth in love. Understanding your thoughts, your emotions, and desires, and translating them into words is a skill most of us aren't taught. I'm nearly 50 years old, and I never got taught this. 
to tra- understand my thoughts, my emotions, my desires, and translate them into words, a skill most of us, we aren't taught that. As a result, they never get validated. They just get uh, ignored. They get stuffed, and they get hidden. Last week, I referred to 2 Timothy 1.7. Anybody know what it says? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And I mentioned to you that sound mind, so for now, that word there means safe thinking. Whenever fear comes in, now we can't think safe anymore. It's the absolute opposite of what God has given us. He's not given us fear. He's given us the ability of power, love, and safe thinking. I believe fear is the hijacker of truth. That's ultimately what I'm saying. Fear will hijack truth every time. Let me try to make this practical. I have spent a lot of my life, married life to my wonderful wife, in fear of her. I'm way bigger than she is. But that fear is not some outward thing. It's an inward thing. And I'm starting to discover that she's not my enemy. And so I really don't need to be afraid. I think I've told you this before. I, I, when I started really looking at this and identifying what was going on inside of me, I started to recognize I was doing the strangest things. Really weird stuff. I would be in my office working, could hear her coming down the hall, and I know how she walks. I can hear her footsteps, and she walks different than the rest of the kids. <laughs> it's that peg leg. It gives it away every time. It's <laughs> <laughs> but I, would, I started to notice this anxiety building up inside of me where I, just wanted to, I was just agitated and, and, and didn't know why, but I would like close the book I was reading, close my computer. I don't know. I'd be like change what I was doing because of this anxiety. Right? No reason at all. <laughs> No reason at all for that coming from her. It was something that had to do with my past, but I found what it was happening was it was creating a disconnect with her because fear will always hide and bury the truth. And so the fear wouldn't even allow me to see what was going on, and it took me time to really stop and analyze and go, wait, I need to figure out why this is going on. And I started to discover why. It had something to do with when I was younger, when I was a kid, but I, you know, now when it starts to happen, at least I can look at it and go, wait, I have a choice to make. It doesn't mean the feeling goes away. It means I have a choice to make. I can either choose to go back into fear over something that is not even real, or I can choose to look at it and go, this is completely different. This is not that. I am not required to live under the bondage of what happened to me when I was younger. I am not a victim. I'm a victor. Now, I still have challenges in my life where I'm still choosing the right thing. I'm choosing to think right. But this is not a passive way of living. I hope you guys are hearing me this morning. We want transformation, but we have to be active in the way we think. Did you know that the majority, I think it was 80, was it 80, 85%? Jason Volatin was talking about this. He was saying 80 to 85% of the thoughts that we have when we're alone are negative. They're negative. And most of those negative thoughts have to do about negativity inside. Man, if this is true, then we've got a lot of people walking around with a really poor self-image that want to hide, they want to recluse, and then when you get in the context of people, you put on this mask, and it's like, hey, I'm happy guy. I'm happy girl. I'm happy guy. And the inside, you're dying on the inside. 
This is why we need people. This is why we need close people around us that we can have friendships with because we need to be able to get close to people and speak the truth in love and say, I am not good. I'm not good. I don't even know what's going on inside of me right now. I just know this isn't good. Mm. Here's what I discover. This is my step on some toes here, but I'm really okay with that. I just read to you what pastors are for. They're for the equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Okay, so sometimes that means I step on toes, okay? People who don't understand themselves can't be understood. I look back at my life and the multiple times I've tried to have conversations with my wife and I can't even communicate to her and she doesn't even understand me because I don't know what's going on inside of me. People like this end up being powerless victims and blamers. It's always somebody else's problem. Husbands, wives, hear me very closely in here. When you're struggling, take it to the bank. It is not the other person. I don't care if they did something bad to you. It's still not the other person. It's still. When, when we take it and turn it around and go, I need to find out what's going on inside of me. Is this making sense? We want to call certain things justice when it's really selfishness. I'm done. (laughs) The sad thing is most communication, when our hearts are like that, when when they're blocked up and we can't even find the truth, we can't speak the truth, most of our communication then comes from a place of fear comes from a place of protection, performance, and it's so sad. We don't even have close connection, close relationships in the church. Hmm. Fear-driven people have three primary ways of speaking, and all of them come from a place of fear. Now, I'm going to pull some of this stuff from uh, Keep Your Love On, Danny Silk. So some of this stuff came from him. If you're interested in this stuff, it's really, really good. Fear-driven people have three primary ways of speaking. All of them come from and reproduce fear. There's passive speaking, aggressive speaking, and passive-aggressive speaking. The passive speaking has a core belief that says, you matter, I don't. That's passive. That's the, the core belief is, you matter, I don't. And maybe you know somebody like this. If you don't, be careful, it might be you. You matter, I don't. So they end up in relationships where it's all about pleasing the other person because nothing inside of me matters. I can't speak the truth because I don't know the truth of what's going on inside of me. All I know is you matter that I don't. They end up taking on like a martyr complex. They end up being peacekeepers, going with the flow. They don't have any needs. They have this thinking that says, if I tell you the truth, you'll think I'm a bad person. Ooh. (laughs) That's passive speaking. Here's the aggressive speaking. Their core belief is not you matter, I don't. Their core belief is I matter, you don't. They use aggression and manipulation to control the relationship, to control the atmosphere. And ironically enough, they usually end up in a relationship with a passive person. They like come together. 
Then there's the passive-aggressive person. Their core belief is, you matter. No, not really. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, I love you so much. God, that guy's such a jerk. Okay, I got to tell this story. Here's, here's a great example of passive-aggressive. And guys, just so we're being totally honest here, this is my default. This is my default right here. This is where I go when I get fearful. That's me. I'm the passive-aggressive. And I recognize it. It's always easy to recognize. We have chickens in our yard, sometimes more than others. But right now, we have a lot of chickens. Our chickens were getting through the fence into the neighbor's yard. And... And I heard the neighbor one day come out and go, I've never met this neighbor, never seen him even. Um, I heard the neighbor go, oh, get out of here, get out. And I was like, oh, God, those chickens are over there. And I was over the fence. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll fix it, I'll make sure that they can't get through the fence. And I was trying to engage in conversation, couldn't get a word. Next thing you know, animal control shows up at my house. Well, I didn't call him. <laughs> Just a good example of passive-aggressive. Instead of having the communication and speaking the truth in love, then it's like, I'm going to have somebody else take care of that problem for me. I don't want to connect with you. I want to have somebody else fix this thing. Hmm. They're usually the ones most filled with fear. And I told you a couple of weeks ago, I'm a scared, scared man. I am recognizing how scared I am on the inside. And I don't want to live like that. I don't like it. I don't like the disconnect it breeds in my close relationships with my wife, with my children, and with people around me. I don't like that. But I'll tell you this. To try to embrace it, it's not like the fear just goes away all of a sudden. It's not like it just, oh, I'm not afraid anymore. No, that fear is going to have to be stared down. That fear is going to have to be matched with absolute perfect love if it's ever going to be cast out because perfect love casts out fear, right? Passive-aggressive communicators usually can't tell you what they really feel. They'll talk around it, maybe get close to it, but they can't tell you what they really, really feel. Now, here's the really scary one, and I'm going to step on some toes, and I'm really okay with it. Passive-aggressive people in church cultures use the God card all the time. God told me, okay, I'm not saying that God doesn't talk to you. That's not what I'm saying. You talk, I'm talking about making major life decisions outside the context of the community that you've said you're committed to. Oh, but God told me I'm supposed to move to Africa or whatever. Well, great. You know, maybe we ought to have some other people help you out with this thing and see, you know, just wisdom. You hear what I'm saying, right? But most of the time it has to do with something when someone gets offended and they don't want to talk about it, so they said God told me, and then they move. Just something to think about. It's so much easier to do that, though, isn't it? Oh, do you feel the room get really like, ooh? It's so much easier to do that. It's so much easier to pull a God card out than to say, you know what? What you did really hurt me, and I need to talk about it. Because it's so much easier to say, you hurt me, see you later. Guys, I am not, I, this is not my first rodeo. I've been in church my whole life. I'm not talking out the side of my neck. I've seen this happen over and over and over and over again. 
What would it look like if we learned to speak the truth in love? If love governed our lives to where it was more about as difficult as this is, what I can see, even though I'm scared to death right now, what I can see is a deeper connection with you if I just step into it a little bit. And it hurts. It really hurts. I'm going to step into it, but it, and it hurts so bad. But what I'll find is a deeper connection with you. Love-governed people have a way of doing it completely different, though. They have assertive communication, assertive speaking. Their core belief is this. You matter, and so do I. You matter, so do I. So we're going to sit here and we're going to talk about this. My thoughts and feelings and needs matter, and so do yours. Both people matter in the communication process. They're not afraid of the other's feelings, and they're not afraid of their own feelings. Both people are incredibly powerful, and they insist on it. Now, that sounds really good. Right now, that sounds very utopian to me because I'm not that. I'm not that. I want to be that. But I know that the difficulty is just embracing it. I've noticed this about assertive, truth-speaking people. I have a friend that's like this. I remember, this happened a couple of years ago, I called him up on the phone, and I was just going off about what was wrong in my life. This and this, and this person did this, and that, 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 you know. Which it does start to sound like that after a while, doesn't it, right? Here, wah, 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 wah. And he's so kind, and he's so gracious, and he let me go off and on. And when I finally stopped and took a breath, he paused, and he goes, Andrew, what are you going to do about that? I was like, huh? You're supposed to help me fix this. You're supposed to agree with me and commiserate in my little pity party. Isn't that what friends do? Commiserate? Agree with me that that person's bad. Come on, just say it. Hmm. They're just really good about it. Assertive people. I mean, he, he's just really good about that. It's almost, he's one of these kinds of people I love talking to because it always helps, but he's also one of these kinds of people that I'm a little, bit of, a little bit scared to talk to. You know what I'm talking about? You got friends like that? They'll respond to the ap- aggressive person and say, I can only talk with you when you decide to be respectful. Yes. Then we can have a conversation. Man, how often does this happen in a church? This doesn't happen that often, right? Where somebody just goes, wow, man, that's sad. I don't know. I, what are you going to do about that? I love that. <laughs> da, la, 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 la. What are you going to do about that? That sounds awful, Andrew. What are you going to do about that? That sounds terrible. That sounds like a terrible way to live right now. What are you going to do about that? <laughs> to the aggressive person, they just say to him, listen, I can't talk to you unless we can have a really good conversation about this, respectful conversation. To the passive-aggressive person, the assertive person says, we can talk later when you choose to be responsible and tell me what's really going on inside of you. Now, there may be kinder ways of saying that. There may be, I don't know, I just, at the heart and the core of it, it's like, okay, I won't enter into that. The thing is with assertive people, they know good boundaries and they don't, they know how to not get sucked in, right? This could help us all. I don't know about you. I like, I like people, I really like people, but I also know sometimes I can get sucked into stuff that I don't need to be sucked into. And it's not their fault. It's my fault. 
I can't point the finger at them. It's my fault because I don't have good boundaries. But really good, assertive people who know who they are, they know how to have good boundaries, and they don't get sucked in. Oh, and by the way, boundaries, guys, we may have another whole week we take on boundaries here. Boundaries are not walls. They're not walls. Boundaries are there to protect you, not to keep people out. They're to keep you from moving into places that you're not supposed to move in. They're not to keep people from coming to you. Does this make sense? It's kind of like Gore-Tex. You guys familiar with that, that material, Gore-Tex? No, you, nobody knows what Gore-Tex is. It, I don't know, it came out years ago. It's a, if you're a camper, hiker kind of person, if you have a Gore-Tex jacket or Gore-Tex shoes, it's really nice because if you're sweating on the inside, it lets the water move to the outside. But if, you're rain, if it's getting rained on, it won't let the water come in. So it's a one-way fabric. It's, like, it's kind of like that healthy boundaries keep you from going into places that you don't need to go, and it doesn't let certain things in that don't need to come in. I don't know, just a thought. That just hit me there. That was free. Are you guys still with me? You still? Okay. I want to take a little bit more here. All right, we have time. Yes, we do. Man, Andrew, you're doing so good. The first goal of speaking the truth is understanding it's not agreement. Okay, the first goal of speaking the truth is understanding, not agreement. I don't get this. I just said something that may make you think that I know what I'm talking about. I have no idea what I'm talking about here. The first goal of speaking the truth is understanding, not agreement. Guys, guys, gentlemen, do I have your attention? We do not need to fix our wives. The goal is not to settle it. The goal is not to come up with, okay, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to fix this thing. All right? I, I do that. I, my wife can bring something to me and share something with me, and immediately my mind is going to, I want to make it better. Look how nice I am. I want to make this better. I want to fix it. When all she's really wanting from me is to understand what she's really talking about. Now, I speak a lot, and I'm talking a lot about marriages and stuff here, but listen, if you're not married, think about your parents. Think about your best friend, think about your fiance maybe, if you're kind of close to being married or whatever it is. It's going to be somebody really close to you. This is where it's going to happen. The first goal of speaking the truth is understanding it's not agreement. If agreement is the goal, then from the get-go, you're headed towards manipulation, control, and pressure. If agreement is the goal, then you are headed towards manipulation, control, and pressure. That's the only place it can go. Because the goal then is we've got to come into agreement. Oh, church, boy, I feel a bunny path coming on on this, and I'm going to take it. We do this. We do this in the church. We gather around doctrines because we agree. And then the first time there's a disagreement in our doctrine, now we can't be the same thing. I've got to gather around people who agree with me. Think about this. How many times... Maybe you've done it, maybe I've done it. I see it in the church all the time. People will go to a church because they agree with the doctrine. When it's about people, it's, a, it's the bride of Christ. And like it or not, if they believe something completely different than you, you're still connected to them. You're still going to find them in heaven. And no, they won't be over in that weird section. You're going to be in the weird section. <laughs> I had you highlight this while I go. Go back and look at it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. 
We're going to look at verse 3 real quick, and we're going to look at verse 13. 3 and 13, Ephesians 4. It says in verse 3, endeavoring to what? Keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. My unity is not based on my agreement with you. Agreement is not the goal. It says endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, not create it. We don't create unity by trying to come into agreement. Isn't this weird, though? I mean, we do this all the time, though. We do the exact opposite of what it says right here. We're not endeavoring to create the unity. We're endeavoring to keep the unity. What is the unity that we have? It's this one person who is the lover of my soul and my absolute Savior. It's Jesus Christ. This is why I can get along with people who are completely different denominations. If all they'll do is say, it's all about the person of Jesus. Man, you got me. I'm in. I'm in. I don't care. I don't care what else. You're, I don't care your eschatology. I don't, even, I don't care about your soteriology, your hermartiology. I don't care about any of your ologies. I care that it's about your Christology. It's about all about Jesus. If it's all about Jesus and you say he is the absolute sum total of everything and the lover of my soul and the savior of the universe, then I'm like in. I'm all in with you. I can go to your church and I can appreciate what you do and all that stuff. I mean, I like some of it or agree with it, but you know what? My unity is not based on my agreement with you. It's the unity of the spirit that Jesus has brought in and created for us. I'm not trying to create it. I'm trying to keep it. Look at verse 13. And we do that and we live like that till we all come to the unity of the faith. Now, I'm not saying I know what that looks like. We endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit until we come to the unity of the faith. You know what I think is going to happen? Personally. My personal opinion is this. I think as the church grows, we're going to start to recognize that what we think is so important in our doctrine is not important at all. We're all going to come back to this one thing, Jesus. We're all going to come back to the one thing. It's just Jesus. It's all him. It's only Jesus. Only him. Okay, I'm done with my bunny trail now. The goal, first goal of speaking the truth, understanding, not agreement. It means there will end up being only one powerful person, not two powerful people, if it's about agreement. Wow. Because somebody's going to have to give in. Yeah, that's true. Understanding is the priority. Otherwise, one person will have no value, and the other person has all the value. Mm. This kind of understanding, though, it takes a high, high level of unselfishness in church. I don't know if I'm there. But it takes a really, really high level of unselfishness because we consistently in our lives, if you're anything like me, we want to assert ourselves in defense, in trying to convince over and over again. We say that instead of really understanding. If we're not communicating to understand, we'll communicate, we will use communication to make, maintain distance. If we're not communicating to understand, we will use communication to maintain distance. In other words, there's lots of words here, but you're not saying anything. You're talking an awful lot, but you're not saying anything. In other words, I'm talking in order to keep from being truthful. Isn't that funny? Proverbs says something about where there are many words, sin is not absent. So here's something. Put this to the test. Ask a good friend. If you're really brave, I'm not, I don't know if I'm brave enough to do this, but I'm going to see if maybe somebody in here is. Ask your wife to tell you how they experience you. Ask your husband, how do you experience me? Ask your best friend, how do you experience me? And then ask yourself the question. This is a good one. Ask yourself the question. 
if this person were not here right now in this conversation, could I be talking and having this conversation on my own? In other words, it doesn't require any response from the other person. You don't ever get to them. And you don't ever discover what they're hearing or what they're feeling. Just a thought. Ask yourself, if this person were not here, could I be having this conversation on my own? It requires no response from the other person. You don't ever get to them. And you never can hear their feelings or their needs. Oh. I found something the other day. This is totally secular. Ooh. Someday, someday we as the church, we're going to learn that the secular sacred split is something of our own creation. It's not God. <laughs> hmm. It talks about, this is a secular thing. It was just an article I found talking about mental strength. And I know I'm throwing in the word mental there, but I'm thinking about this in the context of just having emotional strength, of just, just being emotionally healthy. And it talks about things, it listed 15 things, I'm not going to read all of them, but 15 things that emotionally healthy, mentally strong people do. Number one, they don't beg for attention. Needing attention is directly linked to emotion. Those who feel the need to rec for recognition only find themselves experiencing feelings of worth when others make them feel needed. It's as if these people are uncertain of their value or if they have any ounce of self-worth. Feeling unsure of your worth is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you don't know you matter, then no one will ever believe you do. Number two, they don't allow others to bring them down. Emotional strength requires resilience. This world is filled with haters and trolls. <laughs> there are jealous eyes lurking around every corner. Getting rid of these influences is often the best solution but also the most difficult. If you can quietly remove these influences from your life, that's one fewer bridge burned and much less of an emotional trigger. Number three. Oh, this is a good one. They don't hold grudges. Oh, we know this. I don't even need to explain that. Everybody knows a grudge is unforgiveness, and unforgiveness hurts us. It doesn't hurt the other person. <laughs> Maybe I'll do a couple more here. Are these good? I think these are great. They know better than to just let anyone into their lives. <laughs> the emotionally strong are emotionally strong for a reason. They don't expose themselves to people who break down their defenses and crush their morale. Most people in the world are lost and will be more than happy to take you along with them. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a good one. They aren't afraid to love. If you're afraid to love, you don't have enough confidence in yourself. Isn't that interesting? This is a secular thing and it's speaking so much truth. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your heart, mind, and strength, right? And it says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, I can't even love my neighbor until I can figure it out what's going on inside of me. Well, I can, I can love them, but I can only love them to the degree that I know how to love myself. They aren't afraid to love. Oh, here's a good one. They don't lie in bed dreading the day ahead of them. <laughs> there's a difference between waking up and going, good morning, Lord, and waking up and going, good Lord, it's morning. 
Guys, I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I just got to keep it in front of you. I don't get this. I don't get this. I'm committed to it. I'm committed to it and getting better at it because I want to be healthy. I want to be able to really bring the full manifestation of Jesus as much as I can to people. I know if I'm blocked on the inside and I don't have the ability to speak the truth and love, that I'm blocking a good part of what Christ wants to get through me into another person. Hmm, here's one. They're not afraid of slowing down. Emotionally strong people are, aren't in need of constant action and incitement and excitement. They don't need to run around all day and keep moving in order to avoid their demons. They appreciate a slow moment because it brings them closer to what it feels like to do nothing but living, breathing. This is not to say they don't enjoy excitement in their lives, but they aren't junkies and, more, and are more than happy to just go for a walk and smell the roses. They don't do, well, I'm going to say this one, they don't do the things they don't want to do. <laughs> what if we were to grow up and be emotionally healthy and we were able to say to people, I don't want to do that. That same friend I told you about, that same friend I told you about, it's a good word. That's, that's healthy people though. That same friend I told you about that I talk on the phone, I had asked him if he would do me a favor and I won't go into the details of what it was and he considered it and he came back to me the next phone conversation, he said, no, I don't want to do that. He was so confident and so healthy. And I was like, good. I was like, you know, it didn't hurt my feelings because I knew at least at that point I could trust him. And I've said that to him in recent days. I said, I can come to you and I can ask you for anything. I know that. I can ask you for anything because I know you're confident enough to be able to say yes or no. Come on, does this sound like a good friendship to have? I can go to him and I can say, I would like to do this. Will you do this for me? And they will say, no, I won't do that. Or they will say, yes, I will. But they're so confident, they know what they will and they won't do. Yeah. And I know that I trust that person enough to be able to go, okay, I can do this. Yeah. I don't have to try to manipulate you to get you to do something because I know our connection is strong enough that I can just outright say it and you can say yes or no and that I won't be hurt by that and you won't be hurt by it. Yeah. Yeah. They have no problem saying no. And they don't, they don't want to do the things they don't want to do and they have no problem saying no. Here's one. They don't forget to give back. We're not too busy or too poor to donate our money or time. We don't forget about it either. Ooh. If I have to be reminded to give. Some people just choose to ignore our responsibilities as human beings. The stronger you are emotionally, the more you can come to appreciate others and life itself. You give life more worth and you begin to empathize with those who were dealt a bad hand. Wow. Okay, two more. They don't feel the need to fit in. Oh boy, this is the mask thing. I've seen it happen. I'm talking about church cultures. People come into church cultures, lay in the back just for a little while so they can see how this thing works and then I start to get a feel for it and go, oh, that's the mask they wear. And then they put on the mask and say, I fit in now. And they don't forget that happiness is a decision. Now, he uses the word happiness here. I'm not a big fan of the word happiness because it's connected to happenstance when it's all circumstantial. So if I could use the word joy there yeah. and change that, the joy is a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. How many here want to be strong? Yeah. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Yeah. Everybody, let's stand together. I'll be done for today.
Is this helping at all? Oh, mercy, mercy, mercy me. I'll say it again. I'm not talking about these things from a place of I've grabbed it because I'm talking about these things as much as anything else to speak to myself and remind me, maybe even make myself a little more accountable, that I want to live emotionally healthy. I want to prosper and be in good health even as my soul prospers. Even from a monetary standpoint, I want to prosper. I do. I don't, I'm not under any illusions that if I had more money, I would give more. We give where we are right now. If you think you're going to give more when you have money, forget about it. You can have all the money in the world and you won't give a dime. If, you think, if you're waiting to get money in order to give, forget about it. It won't work. Just forget about it. Just forget about it. I know someone, huh? Forget about it. But I also know, too, that even monetary gain is connected to the soul. It is. It's connected to the soul. If I have a poverty mentality, I will never, ever be financially prosperous. If I have a poverty mentality where it's always about I need to get, I need people to give, I need, I need this, I need, I need, I need, and we're not giving of ourselves, you'll live that way the rest of your life. I know this. I've experienced it in my own life. I grew up in a family that did not have a lot of money. And I know what's ingrained in that. It's ingrained in this kind of poverty mentality. Let me just say this. Poverty and greed have the same father. Everybody would say greed is bad. Some of us in our Christianity would say poverty is good. We take on a martyr syndrome. They both have the same father. And both of them, and the father's name is, there's never enough. Greed and poverty, they got the same daddy. There's never enough. All I'm saying, church, is I want to I grow healthy. I want to grow emotionally healthy. I want to be able to connect with people even better. Be able to find what that deep need is inside. I want to be so healthy that I don't get offended or wigged out by what people are saying, that I can actually, by the gift of the Holy Spirit and being healthy inside, be able to see what's going on inside of people and say, oh, this sounds like this, or whatever it is, and be able to like, oh, wow, let's bring revelation to this. Let's bring Jesus into the middle of this. Let's bring Holy Spirit into it so he heals all this stuff, and we can start really engaging well together. Oh, what would it feel like? What would it feel like if we just felt safe in a group of people? What would it feel like? Where I didn't have to put on a mask. I didn't have to pretend. All right, everybody, hold your hands out again. Oh, yeah. I I want us to make more of a declaration choosing kind of statement here. Not just praying. I don't like it when we pray and we put things off on God. I don't like that. I don't like that. It's so passive. God, help me to forgive. He already did. He did everything and gave you Holy Spirit. He doesn't need to help you forgive. You need to do it. So, I'm going to say this. Say, Lord, I'm choosing to be healthy. I'm choosing to have a prosperous soul. I'm choosing to speak the truth in love. Now, here's where you can ask Holy Spirit to help you. Holy, Holy Spirit, help me see where I'm hurt on the inside. And I choose to embrace it. And I choose to be healed. 
And more, more importantly, I just choose you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.